What's up, guys? Welcome back to yet another episode of absolutely no one's favorite podcast, Annoying Question Boy. I, of course, am your boy, Annoying Question Boy. Today we got a few things to talk about. Uh, we're going to talk about Bolivia and the continuous coup that's happening over there. Uh, go through some brief history of what's going on in Bolivia for those of you who don't uh, know or simply haven't really thought about it since November. Uh, we're going to talk, of course, about Portland and what's going on over there. Uh, then we're going to tackle this new coronavirus relief program and military spending budget and some other things that no one seems to be paying attention to or really care about. But for a few of us, of course, uh, you know, we give a shit. But before we can do that, let's go ahead and roll the intro music. So this is actually my first episode with a script, so let's hope that this goes better. Uh, just a heads up, um, it's probably going to be a long one, so if you're listening to this, just go ahead and strap in. So what's up, folks? Uh, I hope everyone is having a decent week somewhat uh, so far. Um, I know it's definitely been one hell of a week for a lot of people. Uh, I guess really I should say month. No, probably months. Well, really, I guess 2020 has just about been a shit year. Um, And it certainly hasn't been some people's best year. I know uh, Ghislaine Maxwell is certainly having a a rough go of things so far in 2020. But anyways, let's go ahead and dive right into today's subjects. So first of all, we're going to start off with Bolivia. Uh, To those of you who have either never really heard much about Bolivia because it's not exactly in... Uh, mainstream news, or simply have forgotten about what went down since November, or just, you know, really haven't been in the, in the know, uh, I'll walk you through some of the highlights. So in October of last year, 2019, there was a vote that was taken uh, by basically the Congress that exists in Bolivia uh, to extend the president's possible terms to almost two decades. Uh, This came on the heel of uh, the coming of the end of the third term of Evo Morales, uh, who has been the president of Bolivia since 2006, when him and his MAS party won, making him the first indigenous uh, president of Bolivia's history. Uh, the vote passed, making it possible for Evo Morales to, uh, win, uh, and serve another term, which he did, um, win in November. But, of course, uh, thanks to the, the, um, OAS and capitalistic, uh, entities, um, this wasn't exactly allowed to pass, uh, Morales, who's a former, I'm going to try to say this, uh, Cocalero activist, and the popular vote since the first year he was in office, was um, assumed to have rigged the election in November in order to, you know, become president for another term. Uh, Morales, who has, since his first term as president, 
uh, drastically uh, decreased the amount of poverty in Bolivia, uh, gave indigenous people many rights that they didn't have before, uh, making the indigenous practices of the natives in Bolivia legal. He's done a lot for uh, the people. But like I said, in November, the OAS decided that uh, his election was fraudulent and therefore helped stage a military coup. Uh, after... We'll go off the script here. Um, also, just to jump back, right before his election was declared fraudulent, um, he attempted to nationalize the lithium mines in Bolivia in order to make them a uh, state entity, therein giving the uh, rights to the people. Um, the lithium mines in Bolivia are the largest in the world and a huge part of the Bolivian economy. So this, of course, doesn't work for late democracy and the capitalist agenda of the U.S. as well as other countries like Canada. So soon thereafter, the November elections, like I said, the OAS, or also known as the Organization of American States, which commonly sponsors or instructs uh, investigations into democratic elections around the world to see if there's any foul play, was uh, sicked on Bolivia. After declaring... Uh, um. Bolivia's election to be fraudulent, both the U.S. as well as Canada and some other countries saw a need for uh, the lithium mines to be um, open open to uh, free market. Um, so they obviously couldn't accept the possibility of that being nationalized, so they like I said, ruled that the November elections were falsified and not democratic. Uh, this led to an influx of military personnel in Bolivia, eventually forcing Morales and his MAS party to resign and subsequently flee. Um, many of the MAS party, uh, discluding Morales, who originally made his way to Mexico and then to Argentina, uh, were rounded up, some were killed, some were imprisoned, and others were simply, quote-unquote, disappeared. The next step, of course, in any coup uh, in South America was to induct a new leader into the fold. Uh, that's where Janine Añez, the new interim president, comes into play. After Morales resigned, Añez, Añez declared herself interim president on a live stream, with members of the military standing behind her as well as other fellow cohorts with no active Congress in session, which would make this illegal, and yet it's legally binding to everyone that it really matters to uh, that would have the ability to remove her. So therefore, uh, so thereafter, I should say, stocks in Tesla and other companies in the U.S. and Canada who require large amounts of lithium skyrocketed, implying, although really cementing, the fact that this was a staged coup by the U.S. and other capitalist countries in order to not allow the nationalization of lithium and to make sure that their imports of it would not be harmed or even made any more expensive, uh, marking just another country in which uh, socialism 
uh, began to take hold and capitalism decided that that would not be okay. Uh, So now that we're up to snuff there, kind of understanding what happened, let's go ahead and talk about why I bring it up. So in July, um, which is this month, almost nine months after Morales stepped down, we have seen seen the postponing of the vote in Bolivia once more, for the fourth time now, making the scheduled uh, election in October. Uh, Officials say that it's due to COVID-19 and dangers around then, but it strikes me as odd that over the last few months there have been multiple attempts to remove MAS. You'll remember that's the party that uh, Morales belongs to, the populist party and the only socialist party in Bolivia, um, from being able to participate in the election. The most recent attempt being the condemnation of MAS party official and presidential candidate Luis Catacora, having presented non-approved, that's in quotes there, poll data on national television, which can be sanctioned by law with a ban of the MAS party. So essentially, the TSE and coup leaders in Bolivia are searching for ways in which to ban the MAS party. Again, the most popular party in Bolivia from being able to participate in the soon upcoming elections. And something tells me that until they are able to do that, there's not going to be an election anytime soon. So speaking of fascist takeovers, let's jump on over to some domestic news. So, uh, Portland, huh? Everyone seems to have kind of seen what's going on there, or at least everyone who's going to care has. Um, So federal officers uh, comprised of a ragtag group of DHS, Department of Homeland Security, that is, Border Patrol, and some individually contracted military folks are currently taking control of Portland and occupying it, and have been for the last week or so. Or should I say, trying. We've seen strong opposition to this, and not only simply the original protesters, but a few days ago we saw what was referred to as the Wall of Moms become a thing, as well as a Wall of Dads to protect the protesters. Uh, These protesters uh, being surrounded by a Wall of Moms and Dads was still uh, violently fought against by federal officers. Uh, And then a few days ago, I want to say about a week ago, uh, Christopher David, a 53-year-old Navy veteran, was filmed standing still, attempting to talk to some of the officers while one directly beat the living shit out of his arm and legs, breaking his arm in two places and leaving bruises and scars all up his left leg. And then finally, after him not budging whatsoever as to display that he was not doing anything that would require this violence, they finally sprayed him from only inches away directly in the eyes with some sort of pepper spray. In response to this, a small call to action from Christopher David uh, enacted a new wall, a wall of veterans. 
This wall of veterans comprised of people from all walks of life, all branches of the service, and all levels of service showed up to demonstrate their support for Mr. David, who said in an interview that he had showed up to the protest for the first time ever. He had never been in a protest before. He intentionally wore his Navy beanie, his Navy sweatshirt, and some of his insignia pads as to signify to some of the officers who might be veterans that he was there to talk. Also, as well as support for Mr. David, the veterans showed up to show their disdain and disgrace towards the officers and our government as a whole. Many saying that this is not what they fought wars for to see happen in their own country. After hours of standing in solidarity with the already existing wall of moms and dads, as well as the protesters themselves, the wall of vets was decided to be taking place in an unconstitutional assembly, which allowed federal officers to begin firing tear gas canisters into the crowds of peaceful protesters yet again, dispersing them and attempting to remove them entirely. This has been almost daily protests in Portland since the murder of George Floyd in late May with no signs of stopping anytime soon. But with the deploying of more federal troops not only to Portland but to many other pop- er, large cities in America, with our president threatening to send more to democratic cities where Democrats take hold, and their mayor, unless their mayors are to get control of these protesters, we're beginning to see the biggest wave of authoritarian practices in America on its general citizenry in almost its entire history. With a history of atrocities committed against minorities throughout all of American history, this doesn't come as a complete surprise. With the overwhelming majority of politicians valuing capital as well as control over human life, suffering and pleas for equality and justice, one could say they saw this coming. But at the same time, I'm surprised to see it uh, deployed in such a large scale with little to no attempts at covering it other than limiting the amount of airtime it really sees on uh, mainstream news sources. But one thing I'd like to comment on and make clear is the necessity to understand that although Trump is the one running his mouth and making threats, this is not his quote-unquote personal army as many news sources will have you think. Even if it was his idea, which no one can truly know for sure, Trump's main focus in life is just simply to not look like a loser. So it's not to say that he might not have eventually come up with something similar, but the point is recognizing that these problems, these struggles, this oncoming civil war and authoritarian practices within our own country on our own citizens is not simply Trump's fault. It's our government's fault. It's capitalism's fault. And if you are to view it as anything other, not only are you not seeing clearly, but you're treading in dangerous waters. Don't fall subject to the practices of centrists and Democrats of this country. There is not a lesser evil. Both parties are evil. Both parties are at fault. And both parties must fall. So speaking of complete and utter disregard for human life and genuine failure on the part of our government, did anyone else other than me see that new uh, coronavirus relief uh, bill? If you haven't already, let me go ahead and spill some tea. Uh, So on Thursday of last week, the 23rd of July... 
The Senate voted to pass a new $1.4 trillion coronavirus relief bill, which uh, included an overwhelmingly large new uh, defense spending bill, making sure once again to have it be so large that the following 10 largest national militaries other than our own combined aren't even as expensive nor as large as ours, keeping sure to stick to, you know, true American ideals. So for a whopping seven or $741 billion, the U.S. Senate decided amidst a global pandemic, a massive increase in unemployment, with an almost 23 million evictions coming soon at the end of this month, with the unemployment insurance getting slashed here soon as well, that it was necessary to ramp up our already terrifyingly large military budget by 3% as of last year. Although not as large as the largest budget in U.S. military history, which of course went to Obama back in 2010 uh, in $850 billion uh, military budget. But that's kind of besides the point. So of the $1.4 trillion, which is supposedly supposed to be a coronavirus relief bill, approximately $11 billion is going towards refunding military contractors, $1.75 billion is going towards a new FBI building. There will be a 3% increase in military pay. Lawsuit protections for the next five years on any and all businesses uh, due to their practices uh, during the coronavirus. As well as tax breaks and bailouts for a lot of corporations like Tesla, Amazon, and many others. $30 billion will be going towards quote-unquote military spending with seven billion going towards weapon um research um oh i had it written down somewhere else so seven billion dollars is going towards weapons and research i believe um come on i believe 11 billion dollars is going towards uh project 1033 which is the ability for or which Gives the ability of military to send military gear gear and weapons to uh, domestic police forces. Uh, and as well as $1 billion uh, dollars for uh, new surveillance planes. Uh, with much more going towards other already overfunded, hyperinflated institutions in this country that are actively exploiting and oppressing not only the American people, but many people abroad. Also in the bill is another possible stimulus check. $1,200 for adults, $500 for kids. But uh, eliminate. But this also eliminates the extra $600 a month that people have been getting for unemployment insurance and brings it down to $200, taking away extra money that many fam- families and households have needed and will continue to need. With upcoming in- evictions as well as a lack of any and all rent protections within this new bill, many families will be facing possible removal from their homes during a global health crisis in a country that already has an overwhelmingly large homeless population and a government and society that shows little to no care whatsoever towards that very population. 
with a possible, like I said, 23 million people being evicted and no protections being implemented in the new bill, not only simply for renters, but also in the means of food, welfare programs, unemployment insurance, housing, and other social programs. Many people will be put even closer to the incinerator by our lovely country and its government. With already almost 150,000 people dead from coronavirus in this country and an administration that has showed its lack of concern for its citizens, how many more must we see die in the next coming months before our government decides it's worthy of attention? Also lacking in the bill is any and all state or local government aid to communities where, as I said, many are going to be facing possible homelessness After already experiencing months of joblessness, poverty, and a world in which they have never thought they might live in, especially without any help from their government. All of this combined is essentially our government's attempt to force people back to work. Attempting to boost the economy, which as we all can clearly see now if we didn't before, is all they care about. When 80% of the people in this country live one way or another, paycheck to paycheck, what is it that they can do other than just go back to work? Trevor Burris of the conservative think tank uh, Cato Institute is quoted as saying something that uh, I feel many members of our government uh, have agreed with. Uh, He said, many will hit a point where the trade-off will be between possibly getting COVID-19 or being able to feed their families. The disease doesn't look so bad. With Congress collecting $3,600 a week, places like Goldman Sachs having their second best quarter in their history, and people like Jeff Bezos reeling in a $149,353 a minute, you would think somewhere in there there would be at least some scraps for the American working class. Speaking of the government not helping anyone but themselves, Betsy Davos, also referred to as uh, the Cruella de Vil of Washington, after, of course, winning the contest between Hillary Clinton, Melania, and Donald Trump, has made her mind up that schools will indeed be opening in the fall. With $100 billion of the $741 billion bill going towards schools, one would think that the government is actually making possible amends for its absolute lack of concern for teachers, students, and schools in general this past spring, as well as their thoughts and comments about the schools opening up in the fall. But with $70 billion of that $100 billion going towards K-12 through schools, they are essentially making it so that schools are signing some form of agreement to open in the fall if they accept this money. With teachers across the country having been without pay in many places and work without work in general since late March, many districts are becoming desperate and might be forced to take the deal. Betsy Davos was quoted as saying that children in this country are actually not carriers of COVID, citing a French study that was uh, taken recently. But what she obviously didn't read, as if she even read any of that study, uh, was that this was interdependent on the country in question's ability to have already got the disease and its spread under control within the country, which, in case you, uh, you know, forgot, Uh, The United States hasn't done. 
With adults of all ages incapable of wearing masks correctly or deciding not to wear them at all under the guise of quote-unquote freedom, an inability for the general population of this country as a whole to learn how to socially distance and simply not being able to get any grip whatsoever on the spread of the virus in this country, what is it exactly that makes anyone, especially Betsy Davos, think that school children will do any better? I, however, believing in our kids' ability to take on this challenge, uh, I know this because, uh, as we all know, one thing that's synonymous with children, especially in schools, in a school setting, is uh, their true respect for personal space and staying calm. Um, yeah, so I mean, I thought we had more but i guess that's all um so i guess that's all we have today folks uh thanks as always for listening uh if you liked what you heard and want to possibly hear more i have something like 35 or so more episodes which can be found on spotify anchor apple podcasts and overcast i also started a youtube channel recently which has two videos up currently and a third one on the way um those being debunking all lives matter and why peaceful protests don't work. Um, if you'd prefer something in writing, of course, I have a blog on blogger.com, also under the name Annoying Question Boy, of course. If you don't already, please go ahead and follow me on social media. I have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, all at Annoying Question Boy. Uh, Thanks again for listening. I hope everyone is staying safe and healthy as possible and continues to do as such. Uh, make sure today that you uh, cyberbully your local police officers. And always remember, it has been your boy. Thanks, guys. Have a great day.